Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast with Drew Stevens. I'm Matt Gentile, and we're diving into some old news and diving into some new news that happened today, Drew. Yeah, so we have a schedule release that came out just about a week ago. Um, and we also have the news that Kevin Durant, who has hijacked both the NBA and the Rebuildable Podcast over the last, what has it been, almost two months, has decided to stay with the Brooklyn Nets and, and see this thing see this thing out with the Nets and um you know it's kind of a anticlimactic end to the drama that was started back in June. Yeah, I mean you you nailed it right on the head. He's hijacked the NBA offseason and our podcast because you know I feel like the last few episodes we've talked about the Durant decision, what's going on in Brooklyn, and we finally get some clarity and finality. So We'll get into some of that and how it could impact the Bulls. And like you said about the schedule release, you know, this happened last week, but it gave us some time to kind of dive into the schedule. Just for our listeners that maybe haven't seen the schedule or need a bit of a refresher, the Bulls start the season on the road in Miami on October 19th, and they have the home opener three days later on October 22nd against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, some interesting matchups there. You know, Cleveland's an intriguing team. Miami is always an interesting team and rival of the Bulls. So, started the year in Miami, opening at home against Cleveland. What do you think? I, I like it just because, you know, you want to see them compete against the, the best teams in the East, especially coming off a season where <laughs> they didn't fare well at all against the Miamis or the Bostons or the Milwaukees of the world. So, um, to get Miami, you know, square off right away. Um, it's going to be a good test. Hopefully, knock on wood, Lonzo Ball is available to play. Um, you know, we can go back and forth on what we believe to be our um, opinions on whether or not he'll actually be available. But, um, you know, if he is there for that game, it, it makes it that much more um, like sweeter or just more revealing, I guess, because you'll get you'll get the Bulls at what we what we would think would be a, a full strength going against a Heat team that lost P.J. Tucker, but you still is going to be, you know, a formidable foe um, come this season. And then, again, opening up on uh, October 22nd against the Cavs, another strong team, but also one that the Bulls fared pretty well against last season. I think they were 3-1 and one against them. Um, but as we'll kind of talk about as we move forward, uh, the schedule makers did the Bulls no favors <laughs> this season. Yeah, it's it's tough kind of coming out of the gate, and, I, and definitely want to get into some of these interesting stretches that we have for the Bulls, but I'm with you. I really do like this start to the season. I love that you get Miami coming out of the gate because, like we talked about, Bulls struggled against some of those top-tier teams, so you're getting – a team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals and a, you know, Jimmy Butler three away from advancing. So, um, yeah, it's it's really awesome to get that right off the bat. And um, the Cavaliers are an interesting team because, you know, like you said, the Bulls had their number last year. But, you know, that team definitely surprised. And, you know, that's a team that you could see taking another step this season. So um, I know I've brought up the Detroit Pistons as an interesting young team to watch, but I think Cleveland's right there. And if not better and a little more tailor made for the playoffs. So 
I'm definitely interested in seeing in seeing both those matchups. Um, the national TV schedule. I wanted to, to get into this a little bit because I know last year Bulls were kind of lacking in the national TV schedule. They started to pick up some as the season went on, and you know really came out of the gate strong. But as of right now, the Bulls have 14 on the national TV schedule: seven on ESPN, three on TNT, four on NBA TV. None on ABC. And I think what shocked me, the Bulls didn't get a Christmas Day game, but the Knicks did. Like, how the hell does that happen? And why, why the Bulls keep getting screwed with not being on the Christmas Day slate? Yeah, I keep hearing, when this is brought up, I keep hearing people talk about how New York is such a marquee market and you got to have the Knicks on. Um, some people have said that. I should, I should correct myself there, but... Um, I really don't know, man. It's kind of baffling. It's not even about the Bulls being in place of the Knicks. It's just like, why put the Knicks on? Like, there's there's so many other teams. You know, we could talk about the potential to have the Heat on Christmas Day or um, the Timberwolves. You know, some of these teams that are actually gunning for for something or appear to be gunning for something more than what the Knicks will be. It just would make more sense, I think, to have – a more compelling team in that slot. It doesn't even have to be the Bulls. I think the Bulls, going back to your your first question, um, not only did they do themselves a disservice down the stretch of last season, but you know it also hurt their appeal. I think in terms of the schedule makers wanting to put them in a national spotlight, um, and you add to that part of the reason for that slide, uh, Lonzo Ball's health, the uncertainty there. And I think it, it, I don't want to say it makes sense, but I can understand why schedule makers are still kind of hesitant to, to give the Bulls uh, a bigger share of the spotlight. You know what? That's a really good point. Cause the Bulls did kind of pee down their leg in the second half of the season on nationally televised games. So I guess if you are schedule makers looking at that, you're thinking, well, Let's see if the Bulls actually can redeem themselves this season, and then hey, if if they start doing well on some of these national games and they seem to be hot again, then we'll give them that run later in the season. But yeah, I mean, they didn't do themselves any favors back half of last year and in the playoffs when they were on national television. Yeah, and I will I'll add this too, and it's going to come off as I'm making an excuse, but man, <laughs> the teams that they were slotted against in those national and those national games were no cupcakes, man. No. You know, the Warriors and the Bucks and um who else did they play on those national slides? It just it just seemed like it were just Titans of the NBA every time they ended up, you know, yeah. having having the game flexed international coverage or just one that was already set to be there. They were just going up against a team that they just had no answer for. Yeah, the the one that sticks out in my mind is when they had them in a back to back with I think it was Brooklyn and then Golden State. And that was just like a kick to the groin because Brooklyn wiped the floor with the Bulls. And then the next game against Golden State, I think, is when Zach Levine got hurt. Yeah, and then that Nets game, oh, my God. It, I think that was the – I want to say that was the third game of the season against the Nets. And I want to say yes. the Bulls had beaten them the two prior games. And that that game seemed to fuel all the, all the people, all the nay, – I don't want to call them naysayers, but all the people who – didn't really think very highly of the Bulls and thought they were kind of a pretender. That seemed to kick off everything, all the noise we heard from that point on. Like, mm-hmm. you know, 
the Bulls were riding high, you know, the first uh, half or first part of the season, portion of the season, and they go against a, a Nets team with both Durant and um, Kyrie in the United Center and kind of get their, their tail handed to them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, man, that was that was something. You know what I distinctly remember about that game, too, was during pregame, J.J. Redick infamously said, and, and Bulls Nation was killing him after it, when he said that the Bulls are somewhere around, like, the fifth best team in the Eastern Conference. And that was at the point where I think the Bulls were, like, in the top position or near the top position of the Eastern Conference. And I remember thinking he was crazy. And then, you know what? He ended up being right. Bulls end up in actually worse, sixth seed. Um, but you know, to be fair, we've talked about it. There were injuries and there was a lot of you know, things happening there down the stretch, but yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, I guess JJ was maybe was onto something at that point. No. Yeah. I mean, he, you can't, you know, he obviously, he, he looks very, uh, Nostradamus like with that <laughs> prediction that he made. So you can, you know, man, it's, um, they, they had the opportunities to, to continue kind of putting their, their foot on the gas as best they could given the amount of injuries they had and some of the peaks and valleys of the schedule, but it just, it didn't work out. <laughs> it didn't work out well, last season. Well, one good thing with the national TV schedule, the TNT bulls get to make a long weighted return. They get to face Milwaukee at home on February 16th. And if those of you that don't know, the bulls have won 20 straight regular season home games on TNT dating back to 2013 and their last game Drew was five years ago. 2017 was the last time they played a home game on TNT. So we get to see the return of the TNT Bulls. Not a great first matchup for that, but it'll still be fun to watch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that'll be, I want to say, Giannis's first time back in the United Center. Um, nope, it won't. Because we got a game actually. Yeah, it'll be a second time back. Okay, I was going to allude to the, to the comments he made about you know, everybody wanted to play for the Bulls and you never know what's going to happen. But even still, it'll it'll be a good matchup and hopefully can keep the lore of the, the TNT Bulls running and get that 21st win. Hey, you know what? Quick aside, um, I was thinking about adding that as a topic, but I didn't want to I didn't want to drive listeners nuts. And uh, again, we talked about the whole star fetish issue I have. So that's. <laughs> Let, let's not do that. But that did pique my interest. For those of you wondering and for those of, that have been loyal listeners for years, yes, that piqued my interest because everybody knows Giannis is the apple of my eye. So, But that's going to be a while. It's going to be a while till he, I think, hits the open market again. So, For but, sure. And even, even though it seems like it's going to be the farthest thing from reality, like it's still Giannis. It's still, you know, a positive comment thrown in Chicago's direction that, you know, given the amount of attention it got and how many write-ups it got, you know, rightfully so, people are going to pay attention to it, at least somewhat. And I'm sure it's going to be used in some of these national games where they're playing the Bucks. So, like, that game on Feb 16, you know that's coming up. <laughs> you know they're going to bring up that quote. Good job. Shout out to Lou Canellis from uh, Fox 32 for getting that. He, he asked that question and Giannis gave him an honest answer, which I thought was very interesting. So let me ask you, when I looked at the schedule, I thought there were some interesting stretches on there. Uh, was there anything that caught your eye with how the schedule makers set everything up for the Bulls? Uh, well, I think the first thing that I that I caught, and it was tweeted out by 
Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago was the fact that I believe it's nine games in the first 15 days that the Bulls will play. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have 15 back-to-backs. Um, but some of the other things that caught my eye was the fact that basically they're going to be playing the Boston Celtics three times in the first month of the season, essentially. It's like a day or two off, but um, kind of a, a crazy early stretch of games against one opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have a home and home against Philadelphia uh, in the late part of March. They had a similar uh, home and home with Philadelphia last season. Of course, they lost both of those games because they have not yet defeated one Joel Embiid. So maybe that will change this upcoming season, at least get one win under their belt. Um, and then just uh, before I kick it back to you, they closed the four, first half of the season before the All-Star break against Milwaukee. And then they come right out of the All-Star break with a game against Brooklyn. So mm-hmm. just kind of some interesting stretches or interesting parts of the season, um, not to mention the stretch they have at the end of the season um, as well, where they're going to be playing a lot of teams that figure to be in playoff contention uh, just before they they close out against Detroit. But like I said, man, it's just every team is going to have certain stretches of the season where obviously they're going to be going against really good competition. But the way that things kind of settled for the Bulls this season, it's, man, it it doesn't seem like a a whole lot of – breaks in here in terms of um scheduled demands i'm glad you brought up the kc tidbit because i was going to bring that up and it got me thinking about uh what we've been talking about with lonzo ball about his health and i think it was in our last episode we talked about how do you balance his minutes and maybe if he is uh coming back when the season starts and with all those like back-to-backs thrown in early i think it goes back to that point we talked about last time that you might have to think about sitting him and managing his minutes very carefully so that way he is, you know, ready to go. Um, It is tough, though, because you do have some really major opponents you're going up against during that early part of the season. So, I mean, they're going to have to get very creative and and crafty if he is good to go when the season starts. Yeah, and we we talked about this last part, too, kind of that that give and take where – you know, you have to probably going to have to give Lonzo Ball um, some breaks in action here and there. But you also, you know, you want to try to get off to the best start you can, considering the cushion they ended up needing last season because of health issues. You, you know, you would think that the injury bug wouldn't hit them quite so hard this season. But um, you definitely want to try to get some positive momentum as much as you can um, in the early going. I want to give you an observation, too, real quick here of something that I noticed uh, coming out of the break. So the weird thing with the NBA is the All-Star break really comes at, like, the two-thirds mark of the season. And then you have, like, a third of the season roughly around there left for what's considered the post-All-Star break. And what I noticed is there's 23 games, and 12 of them are against Eastern Conference opponent, 11 are against the West. I thought that was interesting because... It's really going to emphasize that first part of the, the season because as we saw last year in the East, the margin of error is very thin, right? So 
you know, in order to get these tiebreakers, a lot of your damage might have to come early in the season. And, you know, usually that end of the season's where that push happens, you know, so it'll be very interesting to see. And it kind of echoes that same point of like, how do you balance all these things out when, you know, you know, these tiebreakers are important when it comes to standings and seating. Oh, no, for sure. And, and the kind of piggyback off that point, the, the teams that you or that Bulls fans really want to kind of pay attention to in terms of the tiebreakers in my mind would be, you know, those teams that are kind of right on that same tier with the Bulls. You might say a little ahead, a little behind. Um, and that being, you know, the, the Raptors and the Cavs and the Hawks. Yeah, actually, there's a stretch in there. Did you see the stretch around Christmas time? Um, it's, I think, like right before there's a four game road trip. And the Bulls go to Minnesota. It's on December 18th. Then they travel to Miami, Atlanta, and finish against the Knicks on the 23rd. And, and, you know, we could say the Knicks are a little softer, but, you know, you're playing at Madison Square Garden. It's never easy. And, like, there's stretches like that where it's like, damn, you know, you're going up against Miami, Atlanta, and those are teams probably, like, I think Atlanta, we, we agreed, was kind of in that tier, too. So, like... They definitely didn't do them favors. Did you see that six-game stretch? They kind of have like an old circus trip around Thanksgiving. I guess it, it starts in Milwaukee on November 23rd. Then they go west to, to OKC, Utah, Phoenix, Golden State, and that's a nationally televised game. And then they finish with Sacramento on December 4th. So they have a, that's a pretty lengthy trip. It reminded me of the old-school old circus trip. It's one of those that you hope to come out three and three, but I thought that was really interesting too. We haven't seen one of those in a while. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I noticed that as well. Uh, I think it's been, like you said, some years since they've uh, had a six-game road trip. There's definitely been some five-gamers in there, but um, yeah, that's that's a hell of a stretch. And it's it's those type of road trips where you might face a tough team one night and you kind of look at it like okay, this is probably a schedule loss um, or, or a game, you know, where you don't expect them to, to pull out. But then you go to a team that you expect them to beat, but because it's in in the vicinity or in that in that wheelhouse of that road trip, it's like, oh, man, I don't now, now that game becomes tougher to nab, and it kind of falls into um, the Bulls having the seventh fewest schedule wins according to positive residual or mm. – um, sports analytics website and that's just basically you know basically what i just said is uh you know teams that have been on the road for a little bit and haven't had as much rest going against a team that has had some rest and um you know they have eight of those uh schedule wins which is the same as the celtics um and one more than the heat so again that's you know, according to positive residual, the Bulls have the seventh fewest schedule wins um, in the NBA and vice versa. Now, part of this is because of that, those 15 back-to-backs, I think, um, they're tied for the third most schedule losses with the San Antonio Spurs, uh, which I thought is, you know, it's, 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 again, schedule makers didn't do them much favors in the way that things mm-hmm. were situated within the schedule. Um I don't know how much of that is ha- has to do with them playing in Paris this year and yeah, you know, having to try to make room for that road trip. I was just about to say that. Like, I wonder if they, you know, because you figure like that span that they're giving is three days between they're playing Golden State before that. They get three days 
play Detroit and Paris, and then they get three more days after that. So, yeah, it, I have a feeling that could have played a role into kind of how they loaded up that first part of the schedule before that trip. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and those games, the the games you just spoke about, that sandwich the Paris game are are at home. So yeah, I guess in that in that regard, <laughs> they they tried to that that helps a little bit. Yeah, that helps through, a little bit. Through the Bulls a bone there. You know, you brought up a stretch, and as we kind of wrap up here on the schedule, I one thing that you brought up was that uh, home and away with uh, Philly, and. That stretch is really interesting. It's a 14-game stretch to end the season where they play Minnesota at home, Miami at home, Philly on the road, Philly at home, Portland on the road, the Lakers on the road, the Clippers on the road, then come home to play the Lakers, go to Charlotte to play the Hornets on the road, come home against Memphis and Atlanta, go on the road to Milwaukee, go on the road to Dallas, and then finish at home against Detroit. That's a tough stretch to end the season. And it's always interesting when you get towards the end of the year and you kind of get that final, you know, throttle. That's tough. And, like, I get it. L.A. wasn't – the Lakers weren't as good last year. But, you know, it's still LeBron James. It's still Anthony Davis. You know, they might have another gear in them. Portland certainly has gotten better. So, yeah, that's a (laughs) – like we were saying, schedule makers made this very interesting, but that's not a great end to the season, in my opinion. No, it's not. And you know, as much as we love our Bulls, I don't. I don't think either of us would be um, saying that we expect the Bulls to be miles ahead of the rest of the league, where they can afford to rest players and lose these games. So, I mean, it's it's mm. it's going to have some playoff implications. Now, some of these other teams, you may you know wonder about how much time they give their starters during that point in the season, especially you know, the last part of March, early part of April. But, um, again, every little win, man, is is, is going to be di- the difference between a possible six seed or having to duke it out in the play-in tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I can't wait when we kind of do maybe a little bit of a deeper dive as we have a, our season preview, you know, probably a, a month from now. I know I'm going to probably try to go through this and see, like, based on the back-to-backs, based on – you know, these different stretches, what the win-loss record could look like. So uh, I'm definitely excited to, to get into that with you. And, uh, hey, it'll be here before you know it. Like, we're already getting towards the end of August, which is crazy. So we'll be talking about training camp and preseason before you know it. I wanted to get into the the news that broke today, Drew. You you mentioned, you know, the Kevin Durant story and how it's hijacked the, the rebuildable podcast in the NBA. But we finally heard today. Sean Marks, the general manager of the Brooklyn Nets, released a statement saying that Kevin Durant and the the team have agreed to move forward together. Um, And that finally puts a bow on some things because I think it's, you know, maybe halted some movement in the trade market and with some of the veterans that are still on the market as free agents. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens there and if there is a bit of a ripple effect. I mean, were you surprised or... You know, were you kind of expecting this to happen with Durant staying in Brooklyn? Um, I thought that this was the base, best case scenario for both the Nets and Durant, but I wasn't sure how soon it would happen or if Durant would, for lack of a better phrase, back down from his uh, trade proposal and his ultimatum that he gave. But um I think it is the best thing 
for each party involved. I think it's the best thing for the NBA as well in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I also think it's very likely the worst thing that could have happened for the Bulls. Point being, <laughs> um, I don't think that – so with, with Durant in tow now, I think that for sure puts the Nets – jumps them up into that category with the the Celtics and the and the Bucks as long as you know certain individuals are are playing basketball and their heads in the in the right space. Um whereas if he would have been traded to let's say Toronto or Atlanta, while you know he would have boosted those teams up, he wouldn't have made them better than what the Nets are with him, if that makes any sense. So with him, well, yeah, now, I think- with him now going back to the Nets, that, that kind of pushes the rest of the Eastern Conference down a little bit where you could argue that the top five are Boston, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, and Miami. And now that leaves, theoretically, the Bulls, Toronto, Cleveland, and Atlanta fighting for that last for sure playoff spot. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I think you make a good point. I think maybe Toronto would be maybe the only exception I'd have. I think with Kevin Durant on the nets, like, you know, if the nets are clicking on all cylinders and Kyrie Irving's invested and, you know, with the role players they have on that roster, that team could be a title contender in the Eastern conference. Um, I think that could have happened maybe if you went to Toronto, but yeah, like I, I think right now, the Nets are are certainly back in that position of being a threat. I'm really actually curious to see, and I know some people might laugh when they hear this, I'm curious to see how Ben Simmons fits. There's part of me that would not be surprised if there's a lot of us eating crow this year. And I, I get it. There's plenty to question when it comes to Ben Simmons. We've seen it you know, on the court, off the court. But... And I think some of the off-the-court stuff's not totally fair because we need to take mental health seriously. But I'm curious. I think if we see that side of Ben Simmons that we've seen before of being a good defender, good facilitator, it could come into fruition if if you get the buy-in from Kyrie Irving too. And you know we know how Kevin Durant is. Like I don't know. It could be good. Maybe I'm too much of an optimist, but I think it could be actually very interesting to see. No, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Um, I'm very interested to see how Ben Simmons fits in with that team because uh, previously in his career, he's somebody that in my mind, you know, he he operates really well with the ball in his hands, even though he's not a, a shooter or a willing shooter. Um, he can get the team going and fast breaking and transition, but with the Nets, you know, you don't, you wouldn't envision him having the ball in his hand much. So just trying to see where he fits in into that offensive framework. And if he somehow can play like a supercharged Draymond Green role, where even though you know Draymond is not a much of a scoring threat, Golden State and, and Steve Kerr, they find out, they figure out ways, or maybe even Draymond himself, he's so smart, they find out ways to mitigate the way that the defense kind of treats him in a half-court setting, um, you know, with dribble handoffs and, and things of that nature. So I'm interested to see how Steve Nash uses Ben Simmons or um, what they can come up with in the half-court settings against some of the best teams in the East. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I think back to with Kyrie Irving. I think back to when he was in Cleveland, there was a lot of scenarios where he was playing off ball with LeBron. And yeah, I mean, he did pretty well in those scenarios. Um, So I wonder, like, you know, could that be something we see with Ben Simmons on the floor? Because, you know, like Kevin Durant, there's opportunities where he goes into ISO mode, but he can play pretty well off the ball, I think. So I'm actually curious to see, like, will they implement some of that? Could we see, like, some of what we saw from Kyrie when he was in Cleveland back in the day? Uh, Because I think Kyrie, for as much of a headache as he gives many fans in the NBA and gives the whole Nets franchise, I think he's very multi-skilled where he could be deadly with the ball in his hands and be deadly operating off ball too on offense. Oh, for sure. And that's, that's why on paper they look like they can really challenge for, you know, a NBA finals berth um, come this, this season. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's definitely going to be something that will be fun to watch. Uh, you mentioned the impact that it could have on the Bulls and that with Kevin Durant staying, it puts the Nets into, you know, a bit of a more of a power seat. I'm kind of with you there. You know, I, I don't think this helped the Bulls at all. I do think, though, it will be interesting to see because we were talking about positive there of, you know, if, if Ben Simmons can, you know, get back to that level that he was at where he was showing skills of being a productive player if Kyrie Irving is is invested like this team could be pretty good but I wonder if Kyrie still isn't fully invested or or wants to leave you know what could happen then like we don't know for sure if he's invested and we don't really know for sure if Durant's 100% invested I mean maybe he and the Nets are coming to this agreement because they can't find suitors you know, it's very possible that the Rudy Gobert trade has kind of screwed up the whole market for somebody like Kevin Durant or even a Kyrie Irving. So I wonder, like, is this sort of just a forced marriage or, you know, have they actually settled some of this stuff behind the scenes? Yeah, yeah, you got to you got to you kind of use um, coming at it as a conspiracy theorist type of angle a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, I'm trying to go Alex Jones on everybody. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, from the Rams' perspective, I think one of two of the, the top teams he had asked to be traded to, you know, for one reason or another, whether it be the whole designated max uh, rule that the NBA has where, you know, uh, it kept them from being traded to Miami, Um because Bam probably would have had to be involved and he couldn't go to the Nets because Ben Simmons is there and then everything with Phoenix and DeAndre Aiden um, and then matching the the offer sheet that the, the Pacers signed them to. So, you know, things just kind of crumbled for, for Durant in terms of his, his trade demands. Yeah, and that's kind of what I've been, I guess I've, I've been kind of thinking about that all day today that, seems to have come out of the blue given everything we've heard from Woj and and Shams and some of the insiders and I just wonder if it got to a point where they just kind of looked at each other Durant and Sean Marks and said you know what we can't find anything let's just see what happens and if this thing implodes then we'll move on and 
I guess that kind of leads me to to this question for you, Drew. Uh, is this actually going to be rectified, or do you think it's going to implode this situation in Brooklyn? <laughs> oh man, that's a great question, given what we've already seen from uh, from the Nets to this point. But um, I think for now. <laughs> because they seem to have made amends and Kyrie Irving is playing for a new contract. I think you'll see the, the best of this group come this season. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on Steve Nash to improve as a coach um, and as a strategist, given the ultimatum that was given by Kevin Durant um, last month. So I think you see the best of this bunch coming up this season. Beyond that, I mean, it's – Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Who who knows after that? What are what are your thoughts? I mean, I think that it's going to implode. I and not to not to sound like a jerk, but um, <laughs> I just I think just given the drama this off season with Kyrie and you know Durant wanting to move on, I think it's just going to come to a head. And it you know it could be that the first thing that happens is Steve Nash is let go at some point, like during the season, if things don't work out well. And then if that happens, you know, is there just a, a ripple effect? I guess it'll depend. Like if if we kind of see them stumble out of the gate, then I think we know that the situation can't be rectified at that point. Um, if they come out of the gate red hot, then, hey, you know, I, I might be eating crow, but the way that it works in the NBA, like sometimes your team's record doesn't necessarily reflect – the situation that could be brewing. So I just have a feeling by the time we get to the summer of 2023, the Nets could be looking to to shake things up. Now, what I will say is if things do implode, I could see it where possibly Kevin Durant still stays in Brooklyn and maybe some other pieces are getting shipped out like Kyrie, maybe Ben Simmons, and they're kind of retooling that roster a little bit differently. And I know Durant's kind of had some beef about not wanting to be there if Kyrie's not there, but uh, that could easily change. A lot of a lot of players eventually want to move on from Kyrie Irving, and that could happen too. Yeah, it still very much has the potential to go sideways once again, but I think, I don't know, that it's going to be something to, to pay really, really close attention to moving forward just because of the volatility of the situation. Um and just what we've seen from Kyrie Irving in recent recent seasons, and um, you know this this version of Kevin Durant who was willing to to leave a, a situation that on paper again looks very much like a, a championship contending team, he was willing to get out of there. So I don't know, man. It's kind of one of those stay tuned things. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely gonna be watching and waiting with bated breath because as you know I do love chaos in the nba i love to see stars try to force the way out of their current situations <laughs> wink, but, wink wink to Giannis, right exactly exactly so real quick drew final thoughts before we wrap up today anything that that caught your eye bulls news nba news that you think is worth talking about real quick um nothing that we haven't already addressed i think today was a win for nba fans um, but maybe maybe not so much for, for Bulls fans. 
And, and again, maybe I'm doing a, a six in one hand, half dozen in the other, because we're talking about Kevin Durant, and no matter where he went, he was likely to elevate the team he was going to. But I just think it 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 changes the the hierarchy in the Eastern Conference, and um, again, just makes it very likely that you're gonna have four teams fighting for that last playoff berth. You know, I'm actually gonna throw something in for you as a wild card of a final thought that I have that uh, we didn't really bring up, but I, I saw it just before we hopped on. And I actually want to get your thoughts on this. Um, do you sometimes see reports come in from a website in your feed from heavy.com? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know how to feel. And like, I don't want to totally rip on, you know, websites, but I've noticed they tend to aggregate news and sometimes they're not, always explaining sources great i saw i think it was a report that was from yesterday or, or day before um about an nba executive telling i think it was sean devaney about i think it was about where anthony davis could end up and they threw out chicago for basically a swap that would include zach levine and as much as i like anthony davis i think he's a great player the only things that concern me with him are his health but I mean, to me, that would make no sense. Like, you literally just locked up Zach Levine to a max extension. I, I yeah. It was like stirring the pot a little bit. And I think it might have been um, Joshua Buckhalter who who wrote that. And he's a he's a friend of mine. Um, and he might have just come across that. And, again, like you said, it's, it's a slow news period. It's the summertime. So just something to kind of get people to talk about. And the thing that kind of caught me with that was – the implication that Zach really wants to be in Los Angeles, which was the first I've heard of it other than maybe LeVar Ball talking about it, but it just didn't seem, it, it didn't seem to line up with me. Um, and I was thinking about this actually on the, the ride home from work. Is it a hot take to say that as of this very moment, not looking at um, their resumes, just here in the here and now, is it a hot take to say that Zach Levine is the better player? Okay, so at first blush, I would say yes, but given health and durability lately, and you might not be wrong, can you trust Anthony Davis to play more than 65 games a season these days? You know what I mean? Like, Zach Levine, at least we know, and despite him being, you know, in and out of the lineup last year, he still played enough games last year where you would feel comfortable. But yeah, Anthony Davis, the question these days is durability. And it's it's been for a while, really. So no, I don't think that's crazy to say. But I think it's tough because the overall body of work would tell you Anthony Davis is is the better player. But um, I'm looking right now, just, just going to pull this up. He has never played more than 75 games in a season, Anthony Davis. And he did it twice. 2017 and 2018, he played 75 games. Since then, he's played 56. In 2019, he played 62, of course, in the shortened season in 2020. 36 in the shortened 2021 season and 40 this past season. So, yeah, maybe not crazy. See, there's another part of me, though, that... (laughs) The the other side of of me is saying... it is a crazy statement just because at his at his best or not even his best, Anthony Davis is going to affect the game on both sides of the ball where you can't really say that about 
Zach yet. We hope that he can kind of tip the scales uh, differently in terms of what he brings on the offensive side of the ball and his potential to do so defensively. But again, just given the health and, and not only the health in it with Anthony Davis, but also the motivation. Like sometimes he just, and maybe I'm just reading it wrong, but he, he seems to go through the motions. Like at least with, with Zach Levine, we, this tangible evidence that he is really trying to squeeze every ounce of potential God-given ability that he can out of himself while he still can. With Anthony Davis, I'm just, I'm not so sure if he is really concerned with being the best version of himself or just kind of, I don't want to say going through the motions. So, he's, no, it's a, you're, you're bringing up a great point. Like that's what makes Anthony Davis so mad, Nick is, besides I mean, being think a, about this, go back to, too. yeah, well, you know, I remember, um, I gave Matt Peck so much shit for that when he came on, uh, with big Dave, I think it, it was during a round table discussion in 2020 and you know, he, he was talking about, I could never have you know Anthony Davis on the bulls because he, you know, he's a Packer fan. I'm like, bullshit. Come on. Like if, if you get Anthony Davis to come to Chicago, you would now, I want to. I want to make one thing clear. I'm bringing this up, and I said it. It kind of floated into my feed because I guess updates were made to the story. This is a story that had been out there in June around the time of the beginning of free agency. So I'm trying to figure out like where was the update made that drove this story back into my feed, and I know other people's feeds too. So yeah, I, I'm not sure, but I guess slow news period. I guess I'm talking about an old story. It happens, but yeah, this just popped back into my feed a couple of days ago, and I'm like, "What? Why?" Like, um, no, no, I get it. Like you said, it, it it didn't necessarily blow up, but it it has kind of made its rounds um, to your point. So I think it's it's worth kind of at least touching on. So I'm glad you did bring it up. Would you ever want him on on the Bulls? If like, I'm not saying it has to be a a trade for. Zach Levine, but if somehow you could get Anthony Davis and he said, I want to come to Chicago, would you consider pulling the trigger? Without knowing the particulars of what it would entail to bring him here? Yes. 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 I think I would do it in a heartbeat. And I, I know I just bitched about the issues with injuries, but yeah, I think I I think I would pull the trigger. So here's what I, I see. The reason it got pushed up, I guess, is... There was, I guess, a, an update here where the Lakers basically were saying, like, yeah, we're not going to trade him. And so I guess that's where it came from. Maybe a source within the Lakers said, not going to happen. So that's what drove that story back up. Um, yes, I, I apologize to everybody in Bulls Nation for resurrecting old news. But, hey, it's always interesting to talk about Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, Chicago guy, and somebody that, yes, I would want to – trade for because that's all I love is chaos in the NBA and bringing stars to Chicago. Absolutely. Maybe it'll start a whole is Zach Levine better than Anthony Davis at this very moment debate. Ooh, I like that. I mean, it was a good question and it, I don't think it's as, you know, black and white. There's definitely shades of gray given the durability. So durability and the, the buy-in to play at a high level consistently Hey, it's always it's always good fodder for Bulls Nation. So um, just remember, you can follow 
Drew and I on Twitter. Drew is at look what Drew did. I'm at mgentile88. You can follow the Rebuildable podcast at rebuild underscore a underscore bowl. And that's where you can find the latest episodes and any thoughts on the bulls that either Drew or I have. We're always retweeting from there. So with Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.